This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. It's good to see everyone. We have uh, one announcement today. Um, the first uh, the first instance of the leadership intensive is going to be this Thursday at 6 a.m. right here, I believe. Um, if you have any questions about it, feel free to touch base with Aaron or Cole. Um, so, And if you're signed up for that and need books, also maybe touch base with them, but I think you'll need to buy them online. I think I'm speaking to myself when I say that mostly. But, okay, today our scripture is from 1 Corinthians 18 through 2.5. 118 through 2.5. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. little, uh plug for the leadership intensive I feel like we have um, we're a little we're we're lacking in some representation with some of the more educated group uh, of our body on the leadership intensive we have a handful of very intelligent ladies who have signed up that have signed up so there are a handful but not as many as the dudes I don't know why so I feel like maybe it's just my house. Bridget has double the amount of gr- degrees that I have, so I expected expected more women in the in the leadership intensive. So it's not too late if you want to jump in. Um, we'll start on Thursday here. Uh, I also I've told this to a couple of people. The way it's set up, I feel like it'd be beneficial for you, even if you showed up to to half of them. Um, there's going to be one piece of material that kind of builds. Um, but the rest of it, I think, the, the first half of it will be really beneficial if you can only 
Um, you know, even if you can pop in here and there, but we'll have it here, we'll have social distancing and all that stuff, um, but I'm encouraged. I think it'll be, I think it'll be a really good time. I'm, I'm excited about it. I think Cole and I have been talking about some of the material for like the last three years now. So, so we may have our high, our, we may have our expectations set a little too high, um, but we're excited about the material that we're gonna be talking about with everybody um, over the next 12 weeks or so. Um, also had a really good time this morning. Uh, thank you to Katie, our host, for uh, leading us in prayer. Uh, we did our first sort of uh, open call to prayer for or uh, communal prayer with everybody. I really enjoyed that. We had more than just a, a few volunteers, a couple people that showed up early to pray with us. I think it's just uh, it's encouraging to stop for a minute and think about the holiness of God, to think about the fact that we've been forgiven, to to ask Him to provide. Um, to even as a, as a church to pray for things that are kind of weighing on us. And whether it's things in COVID, whether it's wanting to raise up leaders and our leadership intensive, but the, but the time with prayer this morning was really encouraged. Uh, so I hope the people that attended were encouraged by that. Um, it's kind of one of those things, prayer is one of those things that the, the leaders have been talking about for a while. Cole and I have probably had how to get that rolling into the Sunday gathering for uh, over a year now, I would say, maybe if not two. Um, but as a, as a leadership group, we've been going through the lead book um, with Paul David Tripp. It's a 12 Principles for Leadership. It's a great book. Um, but we were really convicted kind of last month as we met as leaders. And we said, one of the lines that kind of struck to my heart was if you have a leader who is more excited about a planning meeting than a prayer meeting, then you're in trouble. And I was like, oh, ouch. PDT just like, just got me. So we've been, as a leadership group, we've been trying to, we, we have, we do pray. Um, we do make time for prayer, but we've been trying to prioritize prayer. We've been trying to say, hey, if this is how God works, if this is the powerful means that God's works, and how's a leadership group, can we prioritize prayer? Whether that's starting with it in our meetings with whether that's making more time for it, whether that's holding each other accountable for how we do it uh, individually, but we're trying to, trying to lean into this means that God has given us to, to really grow his church, to transform us, to, to do wonderful things. And we thought, what a better way to encourage the rest of the community to do that than make the 945 prayer time uh, just a, a time of corporate prayer that's a, on, here from now on, from here out until, until we decide otherwise, um, that's going to just be part of our rather regular gathering. So you don't have to register for that. If you, uh, you do have to register if you're coming this morning. But if you want to show up at 945, we'll socially distance. You can join us in prayer. And I'm excited to do that because I, I want to see, I want, I've seen God work in my own life, in my own life. I've seen God work over the last few weeks as we've leaned into prayer and, and I've been able to, to worship him and to glorify him for that. And I want the same for everybody else here. I want us to together pray for things and together see God work in ways that we just couldn't do. Together, I, I want us to see God work above and beyond whatever we could ask or think and so that we can worship him and glorify him for that. And I thought I would just share a couple of sort of answered prayers as happened for me. Uh, over the last month or so, one, a couple kind of silly ones, and then also something that's just been like uh, a, a, a weight off of my shoulders. But one of them is the guy that cuts my hair. I try to break the ice with him. He's like, I think, I think he does a good job. I mean, you can, you can say otherwise, but yeah, I, he, he's, just a, he's just a super nice dude. He's very consistent. 
And I'm, I'm super particular. And the first time I got a haircut with him, I was like, I'm going to get this guy's card because he does a good job. So I've been trying to break the ice with him now for like three or four months. I've asked like every single question I could possibly think of. And he gives me like the really like, sure, this answer, sure, this, you know. He's very polite, but I can't get him like excited about anything. And I was getting my haircut last month and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I just like am out of questions at this point. I'm sitting there like just kind of, probably didn't even look happy on my face. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I don't, I like, I don't have, I, I'm, I'm, I give up. I was like, I, there's nothing I can do to break the ice with this person. And like, just kind of out of defeat, I opened my mouth and was like, so you glad 2020's over, you know? Like, what, what more like basic question than that could you ask? <laughs> like, of course. And he's like, I had a great 2020. Like, excitement. And he told me about his business that he started. We got to talk about, like, different customer types. I mean, it was, like, the most conversation I had had. And I got so caught up in the conversation, I was driving home, and I was like, that literally came right after I gave up and just asked the Lord to do something. Like, I I had failed on every front, and God was like, boom, I'm just going to open that door for you. And I didn't even even realize it at the time because I was so caught up in the conversation. Um, But yeah, it was just a really, that was just an encouraging answer to prayer kind of in the moment there. There was, uh, I asked people to pray um, for our relationship with our co-tenants here. And one of the things, we're just, again, struggling to kind of break the ice with them. Uh, the owner, super awesome. Love the owner. She's very nice to us, but uh, she's usually the middleman. So just been trying to like break the ice with the co-tenants. And, and I told Ben, I was like, we just had to pray for a way to serve them. Like, how can we serve them? And I don't, I don't, I think you were here, but, but she walked up and said, hey, uh, we're going to get those statues out of here, you know, this week, no problem or whatever. And I was like, we don't, we don't care about the statues. Like, they're like a fun, you know, conversation piece. They, they scared scared me to death when I came in like 5.30 in the morning one morning. It was pitch black. But now that I realize that they're not people stalking me in the corner, um, it's less. But, but she, the relief that came when I was like, hey, we don't care. Like, the statues can be there. And it's they, the, the, they have had more problems trying to ship those things out in the last three weeks. Uh, I feel bad for them. I mean, it's just been like headache after headache. And even this week, I was able to say like, yeah, just leave the crates there. It's fine. Like, we know you're, this is, I, I said, I was like, this is probably stressing you out more than it is. And they're like, it is. So it's just another way that God opened the door there uh, in, in a way that I wasn't even looking for in a way that I, I wouldn't even been able to say, oh, this is a good way we can serve them. And it's, a, it's another great opportunity that, that God has just worked. God has worked in powerful ways, in ways to just say, hey, trust me. Like, why don't you trust me to work this out? Um, another kind of interesting, kind of funny thing is it's just been trying to get some conversation. Um, you also have like the, the coronavirus distance everybody takes and we have masks on. So we're being careful even with the, the, a couple of employees they have here. But... I was walking out and one of the main guys, a super nice guy named Brent was like, hey, is that a Trek Amanda? That's a sweet bike. And I was like, first of all, nobody knows like what a bike is. Long story short, we ended up spending like half an hour before Tim showed up and he, like me and him just chatting it up about cycling. And I'm like, this is, I want him to be my new best friend now. His aunt made Lance Armstrong's bike. Like the, the, the guy just is like, like, knows a lot and I just bought like a new pair of gloves I was like man I should have talked to him first he would have been able to to lead me in the right direction so there's just it's just one of those things that we I feel like it's another instance where we tried sort of in our own strength for weeks after weeks after weeks after weeks 
and we're just, we kind of just throw it on the prayer list and say, hey, Lord, we just need you to work. Like, we need you to do something because we're, we're stuck and there's nothing we can do. And he's like, okay. And I, and, I, and I think God works that way because God is the one that wants the glory for doing the things that he does. And if I were to figure it out, if Ben were to figure it out, then who gets the glory for that? Right. But if God is the one who works and works corporately even with us and shows us that he does these things in wonderful ways, then he gets the glory for that. And, you know, those are kind of silly examples. I think they're genuine examples and I worship God for those things. But one of the, one of the really more kind of more personal, more difficult things for me is over the last, I don't know, like four months, um, it's been tough for me to get writing a sermon squeezed into my schedule somehow. And I think, you know, the, Kelsey knows, Ben knows, any most people in many of my DNAs know. Um, it's just been a struggle. And I feel like I've just been praying and I, I've been asking the Lord like, hey, like help me figure out what to say no to, you know? Like I just need more time in the schedule. Uh, Lord, give me clarity. Help me like just know what to write. I just, if I can just have clarity and I can just schedule everything right, then then we'll be we'll be, we'll be on the right track. And I feel like, that has been sort of my prayer for months and every week it was just like breakdown after breakdown after breakdown and it was working all day Saturday. It was getting up stupid early on Sunday and um, it's just difficult and it was, it was a little depressing for me. Um, like sometimes it was just big, huge things that would show up and completely wreck my schedule, completely out of my control. Lord, this is what you brought. I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump into this right now. Sometimes it was me just being not being able to focus. Sometimes it's me not scheduling things, you know. So there's like almost like a comedy of errors over the past few months. And I, I, finally there was just a week where I just broke and was like, I can't, I don't, I don't know what else to do. I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, I can't make this fit into my schedule somehow. And, and I was, I was kind of, um, I was down, um, and it was just depressing and it was a cycle of like beginning of the week, it's gonna be better. End of the week, it's like um, a failure again. And I, and I thought, you know what? It was another Wednesday and I just felt defeated and I felt crushed. There were some things that just messed everything up. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna go to a coffee shop. I'm gonna think about my own heart. Obviously, the things coming out of me are not joy. The things coming out of me are not um, peace. And I, I just need to, I need to set the sermon aside and for an afternoon, I just need to think about what's going on in my own heart. And, and it wasn't like this miraculous one, one moment thing, but I think God has answered that prayer for me in a lot of ways. He, his, not how I want, he's answered that prayer and showed me that Aaron, I don't, I shouldn't be focused on finding the perfect schedule. I shouldn't be focused on, on having the, the exact perfect, clear, whatever things to, sh- to say. I should be focused on my own heart and my own sin as I deal with God's word. I should be focused on, on my own conviction, my own, my own failure as I come before the word of God. And I should be focused on pleading with the Lord to work through his spirit to make his word useful for you guys. That's where my, that's where my focus should be. And I think in, in more ways than probably ever, at least in this part of my life, God has just broken me and humbled me by his word. And I, and I want, and I, if you could just pray for me, I'd, I'd, I'd ask that you'd pray that that would continue to be the case. And, and, and in, in, a, in the last three weeks, my schedule has been super nice. I, you know, may not always be that way. In the last three weeks, I have taken less time to bring a manuscript than 
than I've ever had. You know, I don't, I'm not, that's great and that's a blessing, but I think more importantly, God has really used the time in the word to really, really humble me uh, and to really teach me what, what he's saying in scripture. So, so I, it's just another wonderful kind of answer to prayer. Um, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I say these things because I think for most of us, prayer is like a thing we think we should do. Prayer is like something that gets in the way of other things that can actually accomplish things in the rest of our lives. And uh, Cole brought up a quote in our, um, uh, in our leadership family luncheon. He said, uh, 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 not the other guy. He said, I have so many things to do today that I'm gonna have to spend at least the first five hours in prayer. Uh, Luther, that's who it was. <laughs> I knew you would call it out if I couldn't remember. I have so many things to do today that I need to spend at least the first five hours in prayer. And it just kind of struck me for someone who was so influential on the church, even if it's a little tongue in cheek, to think that way. And I, I don't think that that's kind of where we go. And it, this isn't just a, this isn't just a, a shameless plug for our, for our new 945 uh, uh, prayer corporate prayer time it is a little bit of that, but this is connected to what we're gonna talk about this morning because our, our major theme for this passage is when we're taught by the Spirit, he doesn't work in plausible ways. He works in powerful ways. Amen. When we're taught by the Spirit, he doesn't work in plausible or reasonable, reasonable ways or plausible ways. He works in powerful ways. And I think prayer is just a really good example of that. If we're, if we're genuinely honest with ourselves, we don't think prayer is that powerful. If we're genuinely honest with ourselves, if we're stressed out about something with work, most of us won't say, man, I need, to go, I need to go before the Lord for like 20 minutes. We're like, no, I need to pull up the PowerPoint. I need to go to my email. I need to, I need to do whatever to like make this happen. And I think it's just a, it's just a good example of a, of a means of grace it's a good example of the fact that God doesn't work, the spirit doesn't work in plausible ways, he works in powerful ways. Amen. And I think the, the beauty of, of what Jesus is doing, and I, and I think about just kind of like a four month struggle with my sermon is that if the Lord loves you, if he genuinely loves you, and you're leaning on these plausible ways, like, hey, it's not that crazy to think if I just schedule myself better. It's not even that crazy if I just think, Lord, give me clarity so I can have this done. But if you continue to lean on plausible ways, those will never fulfill. God will graciously, in his love, make sure that those plausible ways never work because he wants you to trust him. He wants you to lean on his powerful work of his spirit, not on what you think will work. And that's the, the beauty of the gospel when, he, when he's united to us, he's determined to get us to trust him. Because when we trust him, that's where we really see the power of the gospel. That's where we really get the joy and the peace that comes from resting in what he does. So, so we're gonna talk about that this morning. We're gonna walk through the text. We're gonna talk about what is powerful and not what's plausible. So let's pray and then we'll jump into the passage. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that you, you refuse to let us get caught up in all the plausible things in this world that we think will satisfy us, Lord. I, I thank you that you love us enough to 
draw us closer to you. And sometimes that's kicking and screaming. So uh, we pray that your spirit would soften our hearts. Pray that your spirit would work in ways that are, are beyond what I'm capable of. Um, not, not so that we can be thankful for what was said this morning, not so that we can feel better about ourselves, but ultimately so we can just give you glory, so we can experience you and glorify and worship you as we see you work in powerful ways, Lord. So just help us as we walk through this passage. Uh, help us just be encouraged and convicted in ways that only your spirit can. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so we're gonna do, we're talking about plausible and not powerful. So we're just gonna kind of walk uh, through the text. Hopefully um, it makes it a little more clear and we're gonna sort of circle around this idea that the, the spirit works in not in plausible ways, but in powerful ways. So let's just start with uh, verse 18. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I think it's, I think it's pretty straightforward. Paul's sort of like making my point for me here. He said the, the word of the cross, you could interpret this as the, the doctrine or the, the teaching of the cross. You could say the, the idea of a, of a suffering king who lays down his life, uh, a suffering king who unites others to, them, to him. So, so those that are united to him look like him. Uh, we also suffer uh, and lay down our lives. That's the, that's the idea of, of looking like Christ. But this, this, this thought maybe that our, our success in this world is actually not what leads to true fulfillment. Um, the fact that living for others and not living for ourselves is what le- leads to real peace. The, if, we're, if we're honest, the, the way of the cross seems kind of dumb. It, uh, it's, it's, he says it's folly or, or it's stupid. It's where we get the word moronic from. But the, the word of the cross, the life of suffering in this world as we look forward to the resurrection seems really stupid to those who are perishing. But, but to those who are being saved, the, the people who are actually being rescued from this world, it's the very powerful power of God. It's very powerful. He, he kind of says it flat out. It's not plausible. It's powerful. And we can't, we can't go much further until we really kind of grapple with this a little bit. Like this, ha- if, if you think that, that Christianity, if you think that this, this, this religion is reasonable, or if you think this, this just makes sense, then you're in, you're in sort of a, a dangerous place of potentially missing genuine Christianity. And I mean that. Jesus says to his disciples, if, if you want to follow him, he says, take up your cross and follow me. If you want to follow him, take up your cross and follow me. And it, it, he's saying, join me in the death march to public humiliation and being nailed to a tree. Join me in that. And the disciples weren't like, that's the religion I want to be in. People left. They, they were like, who can follow this? And and if we're honest with ourselves, we think about some of those sort of like crazy things that God calls us to. And by God's grace in this country, we don't have to take up our cross. So a lot of the disciples literally did. But but there's other things that God calls us to do that are just, just if we're honest with ourselves, it doesn't seem like a good idea. 
He tells us to be more obsessed with being humble and lowly than being ambitious and successful. That, do, that doesn't sound like a good idea to me. He tells us to, to love our enemies, to turn the other cheek, or, or basically to, to let people you love hurt you and leave the judgment and the discipline up to the Lord. Does that, does that sound like a plausible way to kind of go about life? He tells us to, to stop once every seven days and prioritize worship over recreation. I mean, that kind of makes the weekend a little bit harder. He tells us to, that coming together to sing is something that's valuable and transformative. I mean, I like singing with the group, but by myself, it's like a little more awkward. But I think that's, there's these all, if any, if there should be a part of Christianity for everybody that presses on them and says, man, this just doesn't seem like a really good idea. We, if we, we haven't really wrestled with Christianity if everything that you're taught seems like a good idea. Because that's what Paul is saying right here. He's saying the, the, the way of the cross, this, this idea of suffering to glory seems moronic, seems stupid. And if we're not paying close enough attention to be pressed on on any of these things and say, hey, you know, this is fine. If we're not being pressed on enough in these ways, then we might actually be missing out on what God is calling us to do. But, the, but it's this word of the cross, this not plausible way that shows us the, the real saving power of God, that, that shows us what God is really able to do in our lives, that, that shows us true fulfillment and peace, not just in, not in some future thing that we get, like the new creation, but, but in today. Paul's writing to encourage them today. And, and the problem is, is that when we lean on, when we lean on what's plausible, or we lean on what we think is reasonable, we're actually leaning on something that God is actively working against. Look at what he says in the next verse. And this is, this is connected to the last verse. He says, these plausible ways don't work because or for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. God's warning us. Paul's warning us. He's saying, look, when you might think the word of the cross is dumb, but if you do, that means you're working against God. And God is all about getting people to trust themselves less and trust God more. The, the Spirit works in ways that are they're not plausible, that, are, that we don't think are reasonable. And, and he kind of sees us starting to object to this. And he, and he gives us sort of this open challenge. Look at what he says. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? It's like this, this open challenge. He's like, look around. Show me in the world where they have this figured out. Where is the, the perfect form of government that solved all our problems? Where's the, where's the form? Where's the, show me that Netflix show that's so fulfilling I don't have to watch anymore. What, what successful person has escaped the wages of sin, which is death? Show me. What does the world have? And Paul doesn't need the difficult things in 2020 to prove his point. People have failed to offer up lasting solutions for our life for thousands of years. And he's saying, come on, world, show up. 
Point me to where you have eternal life. Point me to where you can deal or have the power to deal with your own brokenness and the brokenness around you. Point me to where you have the power for your own salvation or your own rescue from this broken world. And Paul wants us to understand that God doesn't work in ways we find reasonable. He doesn't work in ways we find plausible. He works in powerful ways that force us to trust him more and ourselves less. And if we stop and think about it, all our, all our plausible ways, all those things that we, we just naturally lean on, they don't work. They, they can't rescue us from the disappointment of this world. Look at the, the next verse. He says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It pleases God, not because the destruction or the fall, not because of the struggles that we have. It pleases God because working this way helps us put more of our trust in him and less of our trust in ourselves. It, it pleases God to save us, to save those who believe, who trust in what he's doing. And I wanna camp on this word salvation just for a second, because I think we have a, a couple of things in our mind when we think about this word salvation. Um, when I grow up, if somebody got saved, that means now all of a sudden, they're okay with saying that Jesus is right. So there's this, there's this idea of salvation being conversion, where you go from not being saved to being saved. And, and, you know, once you're saved, everything is fine. And, you know, there's questions about what happens after that. So, so we think of salvation in the sense of conversion. One of the things I've noticed recently, and it's a great thing, we talk about our ultimate salvation. We talk about this idea that this world is broken. And, and we look forward to a new creation, a, a, an ultimate form of salvation where none of us will, will ever suffer again, where none of us will, will ever know anything less than the, the wonder and the glory and the beautiful presence of God. So we think about salvation in this future sense. And, and both of those things are true and both of those things are right. But if you think about this, Paul is actually writing a letter to encourage a church. He's writing a letter. Even earlier, he talks about a church that's being saved it's this, it's this active thing that's going on right now. And there's this, there's this idea that I think we miss that in salvation, God is actively working to rescue us from all of the broken things in this world. God is actively working for our salvation today. We get to experience the joy and the peace of the gospel in this broken world today. That's what pleases God to give us that salvation. It pleases God to rescue us today. And yes, someday in the future, we can't even imagine how awesome that's gonna be, but definitely today. We, we struggle to see that salvation. We, we struggle to sort of understand and, and, and internalize that so we can have that joy and that peace. And, and Paul actually brings up a couple of the more common objections to that in the next couple of verses. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. And this is just Paul's way of kind of making a, a big sweeping statement. Uh, these are the two people groups that he interacts with the most. If you read through Acts, he goes to the Jews first in the synagogue and then he goes to the Greeks or the Gentiles in the marketplace. Um, so he's just making, he's saying, I'm just making a statement about for Paul, the Jews want this, 
and everybody else looks for this. And we see this, this fact that it's a stumbling block or that the Jews trip up on this, even in the Gospels, this idea that there is a Messiah to come and, and, there, and, they, and this idea that he would suffer before he would ascend into heavenly glory. It's interesting, they tell Jesus, the, the leaders in the Gospels, they tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, give us a sign Give us a sign that, that you're the Messiah. And you think like, man, I've read like a lot of the, the, the gospels. Jesus did a lot of things, casting out demons, uh, healing the sick, raising people from the dead. You're like, what? that's a kind of a silly question. And there's this thought that the, the Jews wanted some sort of cosmic heavenly sign because of some of the things that were written in the book of Daniel. And Jesus says, you know what? I'll give you a sign, the sign of Jonah, which is I'm gonna suffer and I'm gonna die, and then I'll be resurrected, and you know what's gonna happen? All the Gentiles you don't like are gonna be saved. That, that's the sign that I'll give you. And that was a stumbling block for the Jews because they, they thought that, that this Messiah would come in and all uh, stars would fall and this crazy stuff would happen and they, they'd set up this kingdom. So it was, a, it was sort of, they, they stumbled over this idea that, that there was suffering that led to future and eternal glory. And the, the Gentiles or the, or the Greeks, uh, we see that in Acts 17, they're more practical. They're like, all right, there's an interesting story in Acts 17 where he's like, I'm hearing this Paul guy like stir. So they bring him to the, I don't know, the, the fancy auditorium thing in Athens, whatever that's called. Um, they bring him to that and they, they say, hey, uh, make, make this make sense to us. This is very popular teaching and we've never heard this before. We want this to make sense to us. And Paul talks about the suffering in this world that ultimately leads to resurrection in a, in a new physical body. And for them, they're like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Physical body and no suffering, those can't go together. It doesn't make sense to them. As long as there's a physical body, then they're like, well, then obviously things are broken. So this idea that the eternal creator God of the universe would take on a physical body was completely out of their realm of reasonable. So, so he dealt with them a lot, but they're, they're, they're saying, we want this to make sense or I'm not down with what you have to say. And that's something that the, the Greeks or the, or the Gentiles uh, in scripture show up. And and in a lot of ways, this broad sweeping statement about these two people groups is kind of what we do. God is telling us to trust him. He says, trust me, I work. And I work in powerful ways. We have faith in who he is and the methods that he uses. He asks us to trust him and, and, and plead with him to find our satisfaction, to find our joy, to find our peace. And, and we don't, and a lot of times we just don't do that. We get busy with the things in our life, our jobs, pandemic stress, raising a kid. And then we kind of inevitably get caught up in all these things that we, that we think we can fix. And then what happens? We deprioritize the things that just aren't plausible. Prayer, like I talked about. Worship, just spending time meditating on the goodness of the gospel. Because those things aren't plausible to us. And it's like this wicked spiral because the more we lean on those things, that we're like, if only this was resolved over here, then everything would be fine. If only this would just work itself out, then everything would be fine. Lord, I'm praying for this thing to work itself out over here. It's not working itself out. We, 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 we start to spiral and it, it doesn't work because God is working against it. And then what happens? I hear people say it all the time. If only God would just show me the right job. If only God would just change this person. Or if God would just, this just doesn't make any sense. 
I don't understand what he's doing. We want, we want it to be explained. Or we want him to magically show us a sign so that, so that things happen the way, explain yourself to us, Lord. We get caught up in, in, this, in this same trap. And this whole time, God is saying to us, look at these plausible, these plausible things that you're leaning on won't actually rescue you. Won't bring you salvation. It's, it's, it's real power that comes from actually trusting me. Just leaning into the ways that I can supernaturally, that I can, that I can powerfully rescue you, that I can save you from some of those difficult things in your life, where I, where God himself can bring us real peace, where God himself can bring us real lasting joy because it's found in trusting God more and ourselves less. I really like how, I like and I don't like because it's savage, how Ortland said it in his commentary on Isaiah. He said, more than we realize, our hearts complicate the profound simplicity of faith in God. And then we wonder why we're disappointed with life. That cuts deep for me. And I, I, thinking about that, I do that in like so many things. I walk away from just trusting him. And then I complain about why my life is so miserable. And I, I, I'm really thankful that Paul uh, doesn't leave us there. He goes on to kind of help us see the, the today salvation that God is offering, the, the power that he has to rescue us from ourselves. That's what he's doing for his people. That's what, that's what brings God real pleasure to rescue those who, who trust in him. Look at the next couple of verses. In 24, he says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Jesus is the, Jesus is the real power and wisdom of God. Jesus is the, the real power and wisdom to experience salvation today. And it, and it may not seem plausible to us dwelling on or considering the, the real beauty of the person and work of Christ, but Jesus is the very power and wisdom of God. Power, power so powerful that even in the, the tiniest bit of it, even the weakest part of God is greater than anything in this world has to offer, is greater than anything we could hold up as a more plausible alternative. He's like, it's not plausible, it's powerful. Gives an example, he says, look at yourself. <laughs> to the church, he says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. It's like, thanks, Paul. Not, not many were powerful. Not many were no, of noble birth. He looks at the church in Corinth and says, hey, you guys aren't that special. It's like me looking at you and saying, like, none of us are big influencers here. We're not game changers in any industry as, as far as I know. No, no one's a famous surgeon. I've yet to see anyone publish a book on parenting in this group. And I think we have great parents. But he says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God chose you. God chose you and is working in you precisely because it's not plausible that he should. I mean, I think about his disciples. Those were just like 12, most of them were completely uneducated people. And whether you believe in the gospel, whether you see the truth of what Jesus is saying, those 12 dudes utterly changed the world. Completely changed the world. Those 12 dudes should not have been able to do that. That is not plausible. That's powerful. And I think about our little church. I feel like, I feel like we're a shining example of this. We shouldn't be around. <laughs> like it, in some sense, in every way, something has gone wrong. It's not plausible that our community should be gathering for worship right now. It's not plausible that I should see people's lives being transformed the gospel being more a joy, finding more peace in 2020 than they had in 2019. But that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit works in ways that are not plausible, but ways that are powerful. And he, and he does it that way. God does it that way because he, he is going after all the glory. And as soon as, as soon as we accomplish something, we just turn it around ourselves and say, yeah, this is what I did, you know? We, God doesn't work in those ways because as, as we glory in him, as we, as we rest in him, as we see what he is capable of doing, that's where we find more joy, more peace, and more rest in the gospel. This next verse kind of expands on some of the stuff that he said earlier. It says, Jesus is the wisdom, is power of God. And he goes on to say, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And um, I have heard people do whole sermons on each one of those words. Um, we're not gonna do that. But, but think about that. Because of your union with Jesus, this is what gives you your worth and your value. Because of your wisdom from the creator himself given to you in the gospel, you have that today. Because of your union with Jesus, righteousness, the, the very perfection of your person, worth beyond your wildest imagination is, is freely given to you in the person of Jesus. Redemption, this, I, this idea that God has purchased us to himself at no cost to us, at only a cost to him. He's not asking you to bring anything to the table. He's not asking us to be wise according to worldly standards. He's asking you to just trust in him. Trust in everything that he's given you in him that he's done for you and that, that he's blessing you with today. And that's, that's why our boasting, or you could even translate that word, our rejoicing, that's why our, our proclamation of how worthy, how awesome, how loved, how accepted we are, has everything to do with our, our connecting union with Christ, our, our, our fellowship with the Son. Because we don't, actually, we don't actually have that much great to offer, especially if we're gonna relate it to the perfect Son of God. 
But it's, it's tough because he tells us that that's where we should rejoice in. That's where we should trust in. And it's difficult because we have, in our just day-to-day life, we have so many other, like, more plausible things that we want to boast in, that we want to rejoice in. Um, you know, I think I did X, Y, Z thing at home or at work, and isn't it reasonable? Isn't it plausible that, that I would get recognition for that? And yeah, it is, but it, it doesn't help. Me. That recognition doesn't help me rest in and enjoy and treasure all the value and worth that I already have in the gospel. Actually, it keeps me from enjoying that. And we have so many, so many good gifts to rejoice in or to boast in. We have weekend trips. We got ski season. We got the best beer in the, the chillest coffee shops. <sighs> I enjoy all those things. Uh, but it's reasonable, isn't it? Isn't it plausible? Doesn't it make sense that those things could bring us satisfaction? I mean, it's reasonable. But if, if that's where we go, if that's where we think it's gonna find us true and eternal joy, is that's where we go for real power and wisdom and righteousness and peace, then actually those things are gonna work against that satisfaction. Because those are not, those are reasonable things. Those are not powerful things. And this is our struggle. There's all these other little plausible things that we, we go to and we're struggling, but, but those things don't have the same ability to save. Those things don't have the, the same power that comes when we're taught by the Spirit because th- those things seem plausible, but they're not powerful. Think about kind of on the flip side, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem plausible that time in, in prayer will do anything. But it is. And God has proven it to us, not just with fun stories, but God has proven it to us over and over again in his word. But we still resist. We still don't trust it. It doesn't seem plausible that, that worshiping and singing together, even at home, <laughs> Or, or on Sunday, it doesn't seem plausible that those things are actually going to bring us more joy and more peace than anything this world has to offer. But it does. And we resist. We still don't quite trust him in those things. It isn't plausible that in a busy day, spending some time just meditating on the gospel, soaking in everything that we have in our union with Christ, it doesn't seem plausible that spending some time considering those things before we go to our tasks will bring us peace, but it is. And and we don't trust him with that. It isn't plausible that serving others instead of serving ourselves will actually bring more joy. But it is. God uses that to pull us away from ourselves and to pull us into him. And these means that help us rest these means that help us understand and enjoy that everything you already have in Jesus, these are, these are powerful means that help us have the salvation that we look for today, that help us rest in all the wisdom and the worth and the salvation that we get to experience. So how do we break? How do we break on this constant pull? On this constant pull to lean on all these things that seem plausible? How do we break that pattern? How do we start trusting God more 
and ourselves less? How do we access the salvation, the, the, the rescue that God promises us today? And I think uh, Paul gives us a little example here. Uh, if you look at chapter two, verses one and through four, he says, he, he's kind of showing us how this practically works itself out in his own life so that we can see how to break free from all these things that seem plausible but aren't actually powerful. He says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And he shows us right here how we break from that pull to lean on what's plausible. We start acting out in faith. We start living our lives trusting in what God is going to do. Or as Paul says, deciding, we start, to, we start deciding to know the word of the cross and ask the spirit to demonstrate his power. We stop leaning on what we think is plausible, even if it's scary. Pa Paul feels you on that. It's stressful. I'd much rather have things figured out in my own head and do it my own way. And the, the end result of all of this is that we actually begin to trust God more and ourselves less. And I don't know if there is such a thing, but it's an upward spiral. We see him and we see him work and we trust him more and we want to trust ourselves less. Why? He says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, yourself included, but in the power of God. Paul said, I did it the dumb way. It was scary, but I did it the dumb way so that you would trust God more in me less. This is the apostle Paul. So that you would enjoy true salvation that God offers and not the, the plausible words that I have so that you'd grow even more in your trust and in your faith in God. And it wasn't easy. Paul said he was terrified. But that's, that's how Paul got to experience more of this power, more of the, the salvation that God offers us today. So we can ask ourselves, where do you lean on something that's more plausible instead of something that's more powerful, instead of something God says is more powerful? Or where are, you, where are you afraid to just trust God instead of trusting yourself? Because you can, let, you can let go of that because you already have what you need in Christ. You can let go of that and ask the Lord to work in powerful ways to trust him more and yourself less. And this is, this is the beauty of being taught by the Spirit the more we trust in his power and not what we think is plausible, the more we actually see him work and the more we want to trust and the more joy we have in him. The, the, the more we see God work in these implausible ways, the more we want to see it. The more we wanna base our love, our joy, our peace off of him 
and not off of the world around us. And see, God knows what Ortland said. He says, more than we realize, our, our hearts complicate this profound simplicity of faith in God. And then we wonder why we're disappointed with life. This is how God works in not plausible ways. And you can push against it. You can resist, but turn on the news, do the Googles, check Reddit, tell me where there's a better option. You know that the world doesn't have anything of lasting value. You know that leaning on what's plausible literally gets you nowhere. So why not step out and lean more on the Lord? Being taught by the Spirit means that we recognize God doesn't work in plausible ways, in reasonable ways. But we recognize that because we see him work in really powerful ways. And that only grows our trust in him, our faith in him. That only, that only makes the, the wisdom that you have more tangible, the righteousness that you have more satisfying, the sanctification and the redemption you have more joy bringing. Being taught by the Spirit isn't, isn't plausible, but it is powerful. And thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift, a salvation that doesn't disappoint, and a God who teaches us to put our trust in Him instead of ourselves. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, come before you, broken, knowing that even in my own mind, this morning, right now, I push against everything I think I should do, everything that I think will solve the things that stress me out, everything I think will really bring me joy and just something inside of us that just resists, resists how you work, Lord. And thank you that you love us and united yourself to us and and determined to teach us that we can't trust ourselves and that we have to trust you more. Lord, I pray that you would, you would grow me and my faith in you. Pray that you would grow Emmaus and our trust in what you are capable to, of doing, Lord. I pray that we would be a people who think less of ourselves and, and make more of you. We would be a people that understand that the the rugged cross that we're gonna sing about is not reasonable, but it, but it is powerful. Lord, your spirit can, can make these things wisdom to us and make these things wonderful to us, Lord. So I pray that your spirit would do that today and do that this week and convict us where we need to lean more on you and, and less on what we think is plausible. So thank you for this passage this morning and thank you for your wisdom and your word as we lean on you. In your name I pray, amen.